Thanks, Nick. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to chapel on Friday. I am not Dr. Anderson, as we are so blessed and accustomed to having here uh, on Fridays ministering. He had to be pulled to a meeting and uh, let me know the day before yesterday that he would not be here. So uh, here I am. We want to first of all welcome, uh, we've got a number of uh, uh, potential students that are looking at North Central. This is a preview day today, and uh, if you're a preview day student and family, we welcome you. Students, welcome our preview day uh, visitors. Our, our sincere prayer is that God will lead and guide you specifically to where you need to go to be prepared for what He's called you to do. We hope that it includes North Central University and hope that you get enough information today and get a sense of uh, what God is doing here on our campus and what God does every day in chapel here uh, at 11 o'clock. So uh, we're very, very happy to have you with us. At the end of our chapel time today at 11.50 when we dismiss, those of you that are our preview day guests, there's a special lunch prepared for you in the small chapel, and uh, we will be uh, dismissing you to that. Uh, the rest of us are going to hang here for another hour or so for prayer and fasting, as is our uh, typical commitment on Friday. So uh, looking forward to, to that. Thank you for joining us and being with us today. You know, uh, I came to North Central about two and a half years ago, and uh, I came with uh, the title Dr. Graham, uh, having earned my doctorate and having the privilege of being able to be a professor, be a vice president for spiritual life here, uh, dean of our College of Church Leadership, and um, I, I, it was pretty kind of he heady for me to now be called doctor and uh, uh, making sure that my children now call me doctor and... Uh, but, you know, all of that, what I am really at the deepest core is a pastor, uh, because I was a pastor for 30 years, graduated from this school, 1986, and served in various capacities in the local church. And um, it came to my attention that really in this room right here, because of the call that I have and the position I have as the vice president for spiritual life, I'm not really Dr. Graham, I'm Pastor Doug. And so as I was thinking about this call today that Dr. Anderson said, I can't, I can't be there on Friday, I, I need you to, to speak, I, I immediately sensed what I felt maybe needed to be communicated today uh, because of some things that uh, God's Spirit is helping me to maybe discern as it relates to where we're at as a community, things that are happening, uh, not just on our community, but things that are happening in our world today. And uh, as a spiritual leader, you, you grow uh, and you pray for the Holy Spirit to give you a sense of His pulse as it relates to the people that He's called you to shepherd and to give oversight to and to, in a sense, be a spiritual leader. And so today, I want to talk about, uh, the title of my message is Distracted. And uh, I want to talk about uh, some distractions that are very common to us uh, in the day in which we live, and yet help us to understand that distractions are not unique to the 21st century. There is much going on in our world today, much going on in your families, much going on in your life, and that are kind of unique to the, to the day in which we live, and it creates distraction. And I'm going to highlight a couple of those things that, that are pertinent, that I sense that are uh, being used to distract us from what's most important. I think it's important that we understand that uh, human beings have always been vulnerable to distractions. 
And you can read uh, all of history, and you can read your Old Testament, and you can read uh, extra-biblical literature about civilizations and how things go sideways. And the reason things go sideways for human beings in large part is because we get distracted. And when we look even into our New Testament, let me give you a couple of examples of how easily distracted the disciples were. You go to Matthew chapter 16, and Jesus is being very frank and being very clear about what's going to happen to him. He is going to die. That he is not going to be with them for a full length of life. That something is going to happen and he's predicting his death. And in Matthew 17, we have uh, Jesus transfiguring before Peter, James, and John on the mount. And that's an awesome thing. And he comes down from that experience and he heals a boy who is demon-possessed. And, and you'd think that Jesus talking about his death, and a couple of our members see this miraculous transfiguration, and we hear about it, and then we see him cast this demon out of a boy, and, and then we watch Jesus at, deal with the tricky issue of taxes, that Jesus, uh, uh, should you be paying taxes? And, and he's posed that question kind of as a trick question, and what do you know? He answers it beautifully, that we render to Caesar what's Caesar, and we render to God what's God, and he goes fishing, and out of the mouth of the fish comes enough money to pay tax. And you'd think that that would be enough to keep us not from, keep, from getting distracted. And yet we find in Matthew 18, Jesus' disciples came to him, and on the heels of these incredible things that you'd think would have us focused, they ask him the question, Jesus, who is the greatest? They got distracted. They got distracted. And I think Jesus recognizes that, man, are you kidding me? Have you seen, have you been listening to what I've been saying and you want to ask me about who's greatest? And so Jesus needs to refocus them. And we find that Jesus goes on to tell them about a little child, okay? Who's the greatest? Well, he brings a little child and begins to talk about the fact that it's not about who's great. It's about, it's about having the faith of a child. It's about understanding that the faith of a child brings trust, and it's not about who's greatest, but who has the greatest trust. And he uses a little child to illustrate that, and he pronounces woes on people that will misuse, mishandle, or, or, or misvalue children. Woe to those kinds of people. Again, he's, I, I see him trying to get their attention back on point. In verse 12 of Matthew, Matthew 18, he, he, he teaches the parable of the lost sheep, the, the importance of the one. The importance of the one that has strayed and, and getting us back on point. And, and then we have this fabulous teaching in Matthew 18 about how to deal with conflict with a brother or sister. The proper way to go to somebody who's offended you and who's hurt you and, and, uh, and, and beautiful teaching. And then it wraps up with the beautiful teaching about the unmerciful servant where Jesus tells this story about a guy who was in debt up to a million dollars and he pleads for mercy and the person who he's indebted to says, okay, I'll forgive the debt. And on the heels of his own forgiveness, he goes to an individual who only owes him, say, a hundred bucks, and he refuses to cancel the debt. And Jesus says that this is how my heavenly Father will treat you if you don't learn to forgive. So Jesus is always working with his disciples because they're easily distracted. I take you to Mark chapter 10, and Jesus, again, is forecasting his suffering. He's forecasting his death. And in verse 35, James and John say to Jesus, Jesus, we want you to do what we ask of you. Are you kidding me? 
I've just told you about the fact that I'm going to die and there's going to be suffering. And you want me to give you what you ask for. Well, what do you want? What do you want to ask? And those two individuals, those two disciples say, we'd like permission, my brother and I, one of us to sit on your right hand and the other to sit on your left hand in glory. We would like that. Matthew's parallel passage in Matthew 20, verse 20, is even worse. Jesus, in verse 17, predicts his death. That's the point, okay? That's the point, that he's going to die, and there's going to be a reason for his death. And James and John's mother has the audacity to leverage influence, and she kneels down, and she asks a favor of Jesus, and she says, Jesus, I want you to grant my perfect, precious sons one to sit at your right hand and one to sit at your left hand. And how does he do it? What does he respond? How does Jesus respond to get these people on point? He proceeds to say in verse 27, hey, if you want to be great, you have to serve. If you want to make an impact, if you want to influence, if you want to do something big, you've got to be a servant. It's not about position. It's not about title. It's about serving. And in fact, let me just tell you, that's why I came. That's the point. The Son of Man Himself came not to be served, but I've come to serve. And I'm going to serve in the most ultimate way before, because the Son of Man shall give His life as a ransom for many. Here's the point today. We are easily distracted from what's most important. The disciples were easily distracted, certainly because of the dynamics of the first century. Their world was filled with drama, no doubt, much like today. But I would dare say that in the first century, if you were a follower of Christ, beginning to build allegiance toward Him, it could be life-threatening. For, in fact, it was life-threatening for every one of the disciples. Jesus knows that these disciples are in process. They're not quite getting it. They, they have a certain expectation of what the Messiah was supposed to be. And so Jesus knows that they, they don't have the full revelation yet. And they still continue to cling to their default settings uh, about what they think the Messiah should be. And it's driven by their insecurity, certainly. Why else would they totally ignore Jesus talking about his death? And, and, in, and, and, and as Jesus takes the next breath, immediately they ask about who's greatest. Why? It's because they're insecure. And they want to make sure that when this thing culminates, they have a place of security. So why do we get distracted? Well, it's because it's in our nature. It's, it's a part of our fallen state of being. And we've got our insecurities and uh, we want to be reassured, and, and even while the Word of God is being preached or we're reading God's Word in our devotions, we're so easily distracted because we've got insecurities and we're unsure about the future. It happens to every single one of us. I want to show you one more biblical example, and I want you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 1 or open your device and I want you to keep that open on your lap, and I'll have some verses on the screen behind me, because Acts chapter 1 is like the classic example of Jesus making a point, declaring this is the point, this is what's important, only to have the disciples respond in a way that show that they are totally distracted. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Luke is writing, and he writes this, after his suffering, uh, the suffering of death that Jesus went through, he presented himself to them and many convincing proofs that he was alive. In other words, after he was 
flogged and scourged and crucified, dead and buried, he rose from the dead. And he appeared to many, many people to prove that he was alive. Now, my friends, if there was ever the point, that's the point. Amen? I mean, that's the point. The point of our faith is that the God that we serve and the God that we worship is not a God that just created the world, spun it into existence, and he is some, somewhere in the cosmos, and he's there, but he's not really here. That's not our God. Our God is here. Our God is here, not in the physical sense anymore, but he was here in the physical sense even after his death. And when he ascended back to the heaven, he sent his spirit to live in us. And so this God in whom we serve and who is an ever-present help in our time of weakness, closer than even a brother, is here because he's alive. That's the point. Now, verses 4 and 5 of Acts 1 says this, because I'm alive, here's what I want you to get. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, remember, this is the post-resurrected Jesus, he gave them this command. Okay, now please pause. Imagine yourself, you are with the post-resurrected Jesus. You are one of the disciples. You lived with him. You heard him talk, and you also got distracted because you were also concerned while he was ministering about who'd be the greatest and what's going to be my place in the pecking order of these 12 disciples. You were concerned about that, and yet you saw him arrested, and you saw him unmercifully scourged, and you saw him crucified, and you saw him dead and buried. And you walked away like, like Peter and said at the, at the following of his death, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I was doing before I met Jesus. And there we find Jesus on the seashore and he's there waiting. And there he is. There he is. And we think he's a ghost, but he's not a ghost. For he even invites Thomas to touch his hands and put his hands in his side where the sword went in. And he's, he's not a ghost. It's, a, it's the physical resurrected body of Jesus. I would think that if you had experienced all of that, you would be on point with every word Jesus is about to say and that you would not be distracted. He says to them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here's the point. The point is, he's alive. I'm alive. And not only do you get to know that I'm alive, but the whole world needs to know that I'm alive. And so for that to happen, I need you to go to Jerusalem because you need to receive a gift. You need to wait for this gift, this baptism in the Holy Spirit. I would think that we would be on edge saying, yes, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. But the disciples are distracted. In verse 6, they say, then they gathered around him. Okay, Remember, this is the post-resurrected Jesus. And they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And I think Jesus in his mind is saying, that's not the point. That's not the point, guys. So again, he has to refocus them. And so in verses 7, he says this, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father is set by his own authority regarding the question you're asking. But you will receive power, dunamis power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, my martyrises in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's like Jesus is saying, fellas, you, you have to get this. I'm, I'm alive. I'm alive and the whole world needs to know that I'm alive. But for you to take this message to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, you're going to need power. 
I would think that they would be on pins and needles saying, yes, Jesus, we are dialed in. But we see that they're not really dialed in because of the distraction. Look at verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently. They were continuing to look intently into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Well, I can understand why they're looking into the sky because they'd seen Jesus levitate before their very eyes. The problem was not that they were so like, wow, this is incredible. The point is that they just continued to be looking and to be looking and to be looking. It's it's as though the angel is saying, why are you still standing here? You're missing the point. Yes, this was an incredible thing. And notice what the angel says, second part of verse uh, of 11. The same Jesus who has been taken from you to heaven will come back the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. The distraction is the same distractions that we deal with, the preoccupation with things that have nothing and will have very little meaning when Jesus comes back again. We get distracted by things that are not going to be that important when the Lord returns. We live far too much for things that just aren't as important. Now, how many of you understand uh, what's behind magic? Not occultic magic, but, but uh, illusionistic magic, okay? Uh, the individual who's able to pull a rabbit out of a hat or pull a quarter from behind your ear. Do you all understand how the illusionist does his or her uh, tricks? I mean, it's, 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 it, illusion is built on distraction, okay? I don't know if Kyle Joris is in the house. He's usually here. Kyle, are you here? Um, there we go. He's my favorite illusionist. He is a very talented illusionist. We were at a camp together a couple of summers ago, and I watched him do his stuff, and it was amazing, awesome. Great job, Kyle, using a gift of distraction to present the gospel. (laughs) But the illusionist is a person who's an expert at getting the attention of the audience to focus on one hand while he's doing the magic over here. Well, if I can just, with my verbal cues and get you focusing on this hand, I'm getting the coin ready that actually I'm going to pull magically from behind your ear. It's it's the art of distraction. And this is our Achilles heel when it comes to keeping our attention on things that matter most to Jesus. Other things catch our attention. The verbal cues of society or the the verbal uh, messaging of of the world in we live, the dramatic gestures, the drama, all that stuff, it just kind of draws us in because we're attracted to those things, all the while distracted, not noticing what the other hand is doing. So what is distracting us? What is distracting you? Think about that for a moment. What is distracting you? When I say that The point of this is to be focused on the fact that Jesus is alive. Jesus has called us to, in our own way, participate, contribute to the gospel, getting around the world, which all of us, in all of our majors, are going to be able to participate in. 
that whether I'm called to a classroom or to build a business or social work, in some way, shape, or form, I want to do it in a way that people at least see Jesus in the way I live. And if given the opportunity, I'm going to verbally tell them as well. We're all committed to that. That's the point. And we know that we can't do it in our own power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need His help. And so this is the point. But what are the things that distract us? There's all kinds of distractions, and, and I, could, I could just, uh, you know, take a whole bunch of time and talk about all the evil distractions that we have, and that's not the point. I mean, I could enumerate all the evil, bad things and label all these things that we shouldn't do and we shouldn't do and we shouldn't do, and that's not really the point. The point is not all of the distractions. The point is a fresh revelation of what is the point. That is that Jesus is alive, and Jesus has given us a commission to live out the life of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we get distracted. What distracts us? Well, one of the things that distracts us, I'm going to name two things. Number one, sex. Sex distracts us. Now, I mentioned yesterday as an announcement, next Wednesday, February 15th, we are going to talk about sex in chapel. And uh, the topic is going to be very positive and very biblical as my friend Abigail Davis, Dean of uh, Students, and myself, we're going to present uh, a, a message that's going to be very interesting and very encouraging. As we, as we take the topic and we say, what's the point of sex the way God, and, and how God brought that to us? And we're glad that He brought that to our planet, otherwise none of us would be here today, okay? But we're going to talk about it. Um, but we're also going to address in some chapels later in the semester some more sensitive issues, some, some other aspects of sexuality that are really hard and difficult and challenging for us to kind of figure out and, and in some cases really even have healthy conversation, whether it's sexual orientation or gender identity. But we're going we're gonna to tackle these things as best we can because there's a lot of distraction in our world today. There's a lot of distraction on this subject. Can I just tell you the format of how we're going to do, not so much Wednesday chapel, but the chapels in the future. I've been meeting with a group of uh, four or five, six faculty members in the last couple of months in talking about the sensitive issues in our culture related to sexuality. And uh, we've been talking about how do we grapple with this as Christians. And we who have the power of the Holy Spirit or the, the, the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit in our theology and experience, what makes us different in handling these difficult issues? How does the Spirit help us in wrestling with this in a culture that has uh, adopted a lot of things that are contrary to perhaps our fundamental statement of how, what sex is all about. How do we grapple with this in a healthy, loving way? And in the room, I've had Professor Bill Tibbetts. I see him here today. I've had Dr. Alan Tennyson in that room. I've had uh, 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 Beth Brown, Professor Beth Brown in that, uh, in that conversation, and Dr. Renee Brathwaite, and a few others. And, and I bet you wish that you could be a mouse in the room listening to what they're saying about this stuff, Right? Well, we're going to create some chapel uh, experiences where we're going to create a, a living room up here, and for about 20 minutes, I'm going to moderate, and I'm going to direct them to start talking about whether it's sexual orientation or gender identity issues, and you're going to listen to how they have been interacting about how we as Christians need to be Christian in our response to these issues, true to the Bible, but also true to people that need the love of God with all of His love. So, you're going to listen to them discuss that. Then we're going to respond to your questions about these. 
And just like I asked you yesterday, if you have a question about sex, we sent you a link yesterday via email where you could submit an anonymous question. We're going to do the same thing on these other subjects that we'll deal with later in the semester. Why? So that we can respond and we can be even informed in how you're dealing with this and how you're wrestling with this. And we can create, with God's help, a healthy discussion related to a common distraction in our world today. Now, since we're totally distracted by sex now, I need to move on to another subject. <laughs> There's another distraction. And uh, let me just say this. When I talk about these issues as a distraction, I am not saying that they are unimportant issues. In fact, they are very important issues. Okay? Just because we would say something is a distraction, we're not saying that it is a sin issue and a oh, bad thing. Okay? There are a lot of things that are not negative or sinful, but the way we respond or the way we react to these issues becomes the distraction, and uh, it points to something that I want to bring, uh, secondly, to our attention. Just remember that the most important issues to Jesus are the things that the devil wants us to be distracted from. Okay? Remember the sleight-of-hand analogy that the illusionist is gifted at, getting us focused over here so that something else can be happening in the other hand. And uh, I, I, I'm hoping that as we, as we think about these distractions as they hit us, that we're also responding uh, to how we're reacting in terms of our emotions and our attitudes and our personality, uh, uh, because that, that plays a part in how we navigate through things that can be very, very distracting, all right? Now, when the disciples were distracted by concerns that they had about the restoring of the nation of Israel to them, Jesus had to remind them that what's more important is the power from on high that would be, enable them to be a witness throughout the world. And when they were distracted by Jesus levitating into the clouds, paralyzed with just like, whoa, that is awesome, and they didn't get moving, and the angel had to say, wake up, you think this is a big deal, you, what's, a big de what's a bigger deal is how he's going to come back. He's going to come back the same way that you've watched him go. So in the meantime, you need to move out. You need to stand up and you need to speak up about the fact that Jesus is alive and that there's a God who loves and saves us. So here's the issue I want us to do better on that we sometimes get distracted. Loving each other. Loving each other. If it's true that God is still alive, Jesus is very real, we need to love him. And it's also true that because he's alive, we need to tell people that are far from him that, they, that, he's, that, he, that God's alive, that we love the lost. But I think we also need to have equal focus. We have a, we have a priority focus on loving God, and then we have a priority focus on loving the lost, but we have to have an equal focus on loving each other. Each other. And I want to say it this way. I want to challenge you as students here at North Central and, and us as administrators and faculty here at North Central, I want us to be challenged to love people, especially when we come in contact with people who feel as though they may not fit here. Okay? Let me give you some examples. Most of the students at North Central University have an Assembly of God background because we are an Assemblies of God University. Um, but not everyone as a student here, has an Assembly of God background. But because the majority of us are, those that maybe are not from an Assembly of God background sometimes are made to feel like they don't fit here. But this school is not just for students that are Assembly of God. And so we wrestle with, those, we wrestle with 
some, maybe some competing or some conflicting theologies, some competing or conflicting methods of uh, how we do church and how we do worship, and yes, okay, but if, can we recognize that we're not just uh, one uh, uh, Christian denominational persuasion and those of us that might be in the mi- majority, let us understand that this is a school for people even outside of our fellowship. Uh, we have mostly United States students here, students that were born and raised in America. Most of us are in that category. But this school isn't just for students born in the United States of America. But for those who study here, sometimes they're made to feel as though they don't fit. Now, it's not because they've been mistreated necessarily. It's just that in a minority sensation, they, they struggle to feel fit. So I'm just wondering and praying and asking, we need to love each other. And we need to look for the students among us that maybe because of a circumstance that it is what it is, okay, let's recognize it, but let's make sure that we go beyond, uh, beyond the call of duty to communicate, you fit here. Yeah, maybe I have a hard time understanding your dialect and maybe you're still working on English and all those kinds of things and your cultural uh, uh, ways of doing things are different, but you're, you're, you're valued here. We, love, we want you here and, and we're better for the fact that you're here. Amen? We have a majority of white students here, but this school isn't a monoculture school. But for some, it's... It's how they might feel. So for those of us in the majority, we need to be sensitive and we need to look for opportunities to break down that barrier. Now I'm going to confess something to you. February is Black History Month. And I, yeah. (laughs) Hallelujah. But, okay, I'm confessing to you that that wasn't even on my radar in calendaring the chapel schedule this semester and I'm sorry and I want to do better so I appreciate the fact that there's grace given to me and there's grace given to others of us whose hearts we in the majority are we our hearts are in the right place but we need help and we want to do better and we're thankful for your patience and your grace and we are going to do better but the point is we get distracted very easily from what matters most. I want to close chapel by taking you to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And um, what I want to do at the risk of losing you to distraction, I want you to stand to your feet and I want you, with your Bible open or with the verses on the screen, I want you to listen to me as I read the entire chapter of John 17. And then we're going to conclude. So hang with me. I know that some of you feel like you need to dismiss right away or just before 11.50. If you can hold tight, I would appreciate it. Thank you. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. In my Bible, the heading reads now, Jesus prays for his disciples, the twelve. 
I have, received, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for all the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be fully sanctified. And now Jesus prays for all believers. That's us. My prayer is not for them, the disciples alone. I pray also for all who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I, you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for being the living example of what it means to stay on point of what's most important, that you are alive and you have sent us to be living ambassadors of your love and your truth. So please help us. Even our witness comes through how we love one another. Knit us closer together, Lord God, as we fulfill the call to love you and to love the lost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, hold tight just one moment. Preview Day students and families, thank you for being with us. Could you give our Preview Day students and families a appreciation? I'd like I'd like to dismiss our guests because they have a special lunch happening. And if you, if you will go at this time, thank you so very, very much. For the rest of you, it is a soft dismissal. But here's what I'd like to do. For those of you that are staying for prayer, I want you to find two or three other people that you don't know in the student body. And I want you to introduce yourself. And I want you to take about two or three minutes and pray together. That's a challenge that I'd have for you before you do what you typically do during fasting and prayer. So take a little bit of time. Pray with two or three other students that you don't know as a way of connecting outside of your own bubble, okay? We've got communion that will be served momentarily, and we've got faculty and staff ready to pray for you if you need anointing and prayer today. Bless you. 
Let's pray.